there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. I feel nervous, to be honest with you. I, I am nervous. I don't really know what to expect. This, like I said, this is the first time I'm doing this. But yeah, if you, if, if you ask me if I have to tell you on a scale from one to 10, I'd say eight. Of like how, how anxious how, you feel? No, how nervous I feel. Not anxious, nervous. We're in Mexico with Miguel Angel Vega. He's a journalist for Rio Doce, a newspaper in the state of Sinaloa. A couple years back, he and I reported and hosted a podcast together about El Chapo. And now, Miguel Angel is helping us report this episode. We're about to go see some drug traffickers smuggle chemicals into the country by sea. We're told the chemicals are used to make fentanyl, meth, and other drugs. We've never done anything like this before. And even though Miguel Angel is from Sinaloa and has reported on the drug trade for over a decade, this is new even for him. You don't want to know about the worst case scenario. Worst case is like uh, the Marines raid this whole operation. We're just in the middle. There is no way to run. You have to stay there. We basically are going to be in their hands. We're able to do this because Miguel Angel used his sources with the Sinaloa cartel to get permission. We've agreed not to use anyone's real name and to alter the voice of anyone we interview. Miguel Fernandez wanted help with uh, the coolers. Okay. Oh, you got a couple of coolers of beer? Yeah. If you're going fishing, you need a cooler. That's me and my producer, Jesse, talking over the cooler that the cartel has asked us to bring so we look like tourists. Then, right as we're leaving our hotel to head to the dock, another vice producer, Miguel Fernandez Flores, leaves me this message. My dudes, this is happening. We just got the okay, but there's a request from Enrique. He needs everyone to be wearing shorts. Everyone needs to be wearing shorts. So go to your rooms really quickly and put on your shorts and let's go. (laughs) This is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Painkiller, America's Fentanyl Crisis. Episode four, the gringos like it strong. A guy named Enrique is helping arrange everything. Miguel Angel knows him from Sinaloa and has told us Enrique used to be a narco himself. He's the reason we have access to this smuggling operation. Enrique is also the one who says we have to wear shorts. It's part of the tourist disguise. As we head to the port, Miguel Angel drives, Enrique navigates. Sinaloa's Pacific coast runs alongside the road, long stretches of sandy beach broken up by hotels and resorts. But out at sea, fentanyl is being smuggled into the country. Saying like we, we were watching the, uh, the sea, and, and there are some uh, little boats uh, on the distance, and. Uh, Enrique was saying that 
those little boats are in fact drug smugglers because the ship is somewhere at the open sea. My family used to come down here on vacation when I was a kid. It's a place where tourists with drinks in their hands speed around the streets in golf carts. Musicians walk up and down the beach playing rancheras for a few pesos. Passing a little military checkpoint, some Marines. Keep that down. They just wave to us. Yeah, Marine guy, just wave, wave to us. We parked and Enrique has wandered off to find our contacts. Wow, little town. You see all those little boats? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're gonna take one of them. We're in a grimy corner of the marina, next to a dock for commercial boats and a little strip of beach where kids are playing and swimming. Gracias. ¿Qué tal, cómo está? All right, we're uh, loaded up in this boat. We're backing out of the port, heading out to sea. It's a fishing boat. Uh, it's about 20 feet long. It's, it looks like it's been out at sea for uh, more than once. Looks like a cheaty boat, to be <laughs> honest. So we're closing in on the, the boat that uh, is apparently where the goods were unloaded from. It's a big, it's a big uh, like commercial vessel. Yeah, it could be any, it could be any commercial ship. There's nothing that says like this is the drug boat. Is that it? The boat we're in drives up to another boat, and we circle around it. It's four four guys, one shirtless with his t-shirt wrapped around his head, and the other's wearing black masks. Uh, and they're in a little panga fishing boat like ours, and they're trying really hard to get these, it looks like heavy ass bundles out of the sea. These packages of chemicals are just floating there. Yeah, it's choppy waters. And these, these, those packages look heavy. Looks like they've successfully fished out their products. Now their engine's going, they're speeding away. How, how close did we get to them? We were think? maybe 50 yards away from them. Close enough that we could, if we, they weren't wearing masks, we could see their faces. The boat with the mass men guns its engine and drives away. Our boat follows. Yeah, now, now they're headed back to the shore and we did a little circle around them and we're tailing them back towards the coast. About 100, 150 yards back maybe? Yeah. This is fucking wild. They look like pirates. What do you think, Miguel Angel? Well, I never seen anything like this. I knew this was going to be really fast, but it's been like, it's been overwhelming. Miguel Angel guesses that the packages must have GPS trackers on them, so the smugglers can locate them in the open sea. Looks like they're cutting open the packages right now. Yeah, they've got little, like, you can see they've cut open the packages, and they've got little, like, individual, like, brick-sized things that they're handing and, and repackaging in something else. Enrique, come on! You know the Marines, the fucking Marines are coming. The Marines, you see? Marines. Miguel Angel is seeing a boat full of Marines just drove right past the smugglers, within a couple hundred yards of us. They were close. Marinos, the boat over there, you see? Can you see those two boats? Okay, now we're supposed to be safe. 
like we're in the we're in the harbor, back in the harbor. So we were in more danger out there. Yeah, because you know the Marines might stop us. It's crazy to think that the Marines passed so close to the smugglers. This almost turned into the worst-case scenario Miguel Angel envisioned back at the hotel. But we also don't have time to think about it. They've pulled their boat ashore, and they're right next to these kids who are fishing, and they're just unloading these big plastic-wrapped bundles. There's a family with little kids fishing on the shore. As soon as the masked men start unloading, they pack up their things and leave in a hurry. And so did the cartel guys once they're done leaving the packages. As soon as the packages were off the shore, they turned the boat around and went off at high speed. You see the guys behind me on top of the hill? Behind me, uh -huh. behind me. Uh -huh. Oh, in the yeah, car? They're watching, uh -huh. they're making everything. You know, they're the ones that are uh, gonna make sure the right people pick up, pick up that, uh -huh. that, uh, those boxes. Because of pressure from the U.S., China has been cracking down on fentanyl since the middle of 2019. Here's what the DEA says. Mexican drug trafficking organizations are trafficking in methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, and a vast majority of that is coming across the southwest border. Our reporting shows that fentanyl and precursor chemicals like the ones we saw on the boat are still being shipped from China to Mexico. The drugs are being mixed and packaged here and then smuggled to the U.S. Mr. Yu, the trafficker we met in Shanghai, also told us he'd previously done business with somebody in Mexico. And at first, that person in Mexico had a lot of the same questions that we had, like, how do we know this is real? Why should we trust you? And it seemed like they had a long back and forth. And there was some discussion about the guy coming from Mexico to meet face to face. But ultimately, that guy decided, I can just trust this Chinese guy. And then now they're business partners without ever having met face to face. Do you believe that there actually is a Mexican guy? Yes. What are you doing, Luke? Jizzy. Okay. <laughs> the trafficker in charge of the boat operation agrees to meet with us in a hotel room that night. The whole smuggling operation went down really fast, and we have a lot of questions. Yeah, were, were you there on the, on the boat or in the area? Estuviste ahí en el, en el bote, en la panguita, cuando ocurrió todo? Eh, no, yo estaba, nosotros checamos desde fuera todo el... We were uh, in this, like, vintage point from where we can see the whole operation. We saw every single step, every single move that our people did, and also what you guys did, and basically what uh, happened there. Uh, we, we, we were calling uh, the man in charge of the other boat, the smuggler's boat, and from there we were kind of guiding uh, where to go and where to place this merchandise. You use the word merchandise. What type of merchandise are we talking about? Uh, yeah, I'm referring to uh, uh, different chemicals we used to uh, uh, make uh, synthetic uh, drugs. And of course, uh, th that was uh, the precursors to make fentanyl as well. He's saying there were precursors for other synthetic drugs in the shipment too. Chemicals you need to make drugs like meth. We should mention that we didn't get to inspect the shipment to see for ourselves. How long were the in the water today before the they were picked up? 
aproximadamente como unos aproximadamente 40 minutos since they throw those boxes into the water until we were able to recover them how much money are we talking about that was floating around today what was the value of of what we saw arrebasaba algunos 500 mil pesos más o menos dólares o, o estos pesos yo le calculo sí más o menos en dólares roughly 500,000 yeah dollars as for what happened to the packages that were left on the shore they unload the merchandise in the shore and then they take uh, the merchandise, whatever it is, to, to, uh, to uh, different offices. They call them offices, these like stash houses. And after that, they basically they deliver uh, the, 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 the precursors uh, to these little towns where they have these uh, laboratories. We also ask about the close call with the Marines. It's really hard to say uh, how close they were, but uh, let's, let, let's think about this. Uh, that's a part that is under our control. And sometimes they, they, they just uh, drive by and they can see the whole operation. And because they are in our pocket, they do nothing. Does he think that they saw what was happening today and ignored it? Sí, claro que sí, sí. Yes, absolutely, they knew what was happening. The DEA and other U.S. agencies work really closely with the Mexican Marines. Everyone assumes that most of the military is corrupt in Mexico, but calling the Marines corrupt is a really big deal. These were the guys who captured El Chapo. We contacted a spokesperson for the Marines by email and asked them about what the cartel guys told us. They didn't respond. So it's 8 o'clock in the morning. We're pulling out of our hotel in Cuyacan on our way to a fentanyl slash heroin lab somewhere on the outskirts of the city. Right now we're going to uh, somewhere in this area known as San Lorenzo. And it is can be dangerous going into these little villages without permission. We're headed into the rural outskirts of Cuyacan. We're going to see what happens to fentanyl after it gets smuggled into the country. But first, we have to make a stop at Enrique's house. Roll down the windows, every single window, please. If anyone is wearing a, a hat or a sunglasses, can you please take them off? Can, can you keep your uh, mic down? Right after turning off the main highway, we see a group of guys just hanging out by the roadside, watching the traffic go by. They have walkie-talkies. Miguel Angel says they're lookouts for the cartel. We're parking. There's a guy with a mask and a machine gun. Let's just let's just uh, go and talk. Can you leave your stuff here? Because we need to talk. First. You want me to take this off? After talking for a minute, we turn the recorders back on. So we pulled off uh, in, off the road and came into this little cluster of houses. Uh, and we got three guys wearing black ski masks, all carrying 
uh, assault rifles. One guy's got like a AK-47 with a big barrel clip on it. Um, they're wearing bulletproof vests and they have radios all strapped to their chest. Uh, and there's a couch behind us with a, a shotgun on it. So one of the guys, the guy who's got the AK with the barrel clip, he's got a, like a trucker hat on and it's got a rooster and it just says cock. And I would laugh, except he's very scary looking. The thing is, despite the guns and masks, everybody's friendly. It's pretty surreal. Wow. Two young women just came out with delicious looking plates of beans and cheese and rice. What is that? Uh, that looks like uh, pulled pork. Oh, like shredded, shredded pork, yeah. Carnitas. Like a tiny it's part of the culture in Sinaloa to serve visitors food. And we didn't feel like we had much of a choice about eating. Yes, sir. I thought you didn't eat meat. Today I had a change of heart for some reason. <laughs> Only at gunpoint. After eating, we get back in the car and head further into the countryside. We're just in the middle of nowhere now. We've, we've gone way away from the little village and the, the main road. We're just in this middle of a big, empty, dry field. You know, we're crossing back over this creek bed, and I see a little camp, camp out. It's in the, a little grove of trees, dry trees, and there's like a canvas tarp over some equipment. We can't see what it is. Underneath the tarp are a bunch of propane tanks and big industrial metal pots, like the kind you'd use to cook soup for 50 people or something. The pots are rusty, and the whole setup is pretty dirty. This is where they cook the drugs. I'm just imagining when they make fentanyl in a pharmaceutical setting, like everything is sanitary to avoid cross-contamination. And this is just the opposite of good manufacturing practices. This is some dirty tubs in a dirty field made by guys who I'm not sure that they're trained chemists. I don't see any Purell anywhere. <laughs> No Purell. Can you, can you ask them what that is? Is it just, is that just regular ice? Is that dry ice? No, that's uh, the... Yes, okay. Is that Ah, that's beer. Beer. <laughs> beer. Uh, you were expecting like maybe, Chemicals. you know, crystal, crystal meth or something. <laughs> no, man, that's real Tecate light. Is that like what everyone drinks right Everyone here? drinks Tecate light. Yeah. Other than the guns and bulletproof vests, the vibe is like a backyard cookout. As if everyone is here to drink beers and grill steaks, rather than cook tens of thousands of dollars worth of heroin and fentanyl. What we're seeing is how they mix these two drugs together. A lot of users in the U.S. don't want just pure fentanyl. Adding it to heroin makes it a more desirable product. The cooks wear minimal protection, just rain slickers and ski masks. But because the chemicals used to cook heroin are dangerous if inhaled or touched, we put on full-body suits and respirators that we brought from the U.S. The respirators cover our faces, which is why everyone sounds muffled. Who's going to be the cook? Like, who's going to be talking to us? Can you ask? One of the other cartel members points behind us. Yeah. Enrique. Enrique. The guy who we've been with since we got to Sinaloa. The one who's supposed to be an ex-narco trafficker. He's the principal cook. Okay. In this case, yeah. Same yeah. So Enrique is putting on a heavy yellow rain slicker and he's got on a camouflage 
mask like you'd wear if you were going to go deer hunting. Turns out the, the cook is Enrique, the guy we've been with this whole time. Clearly, Enrique is not out of the game like he said. But here at this cook site in the middle of nowhere, it's not the time to get into it. So we keep going. All right, it's cook time. Uh, they're turning on the butane, and the guy's using a little cigarette lighter, like a big, big lighter to light the butane. They start pouring different liquids and chemicals into the pots. Hydrochloric acid, nothing to fuck with. A los gringos les gusta fuerte. <laughs> so the gringos like it strong. Yeah, Enrique is having a great time. He's like a little doing a little two-step. He's laughing with his buddies here. This is all like great, great fun. Enrique pulls out a big brown bottle and shows it off to us. It says fentanyl bear in big red block letters, 99.9% pure. It's interesting that it's, it's Bayer, but all the lettering is in Spanish. Just to be clear, we contacted Bayer, and they said they no longer make any fentanyl products. They suggested the bottle we saw could have been counterfeit. So he's, he's opening this, this big, oh, he's just crossing himself. He did like the cross of Jesus. He opened the red cap, and he's pouring this powdered fentanyl into a beaker. He's sprinkling it in there. They're cooking up the heroin in those big soup pots, then adding the actual fentanyl, which is different from the chemical precursors the boat picked up at sea. Those precursors have to be processed to get the fentanyl we're seeing now. After Enrique pours in the powdered fentanyl, he stirs it all together into this simmering brown sludge. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've heard all about how there's these bad cuts of, of fentanyl and heroin, and it's seeing this lab and how it's it's mixed in there. It's really easy to see how they could get the measurement just a little bit wrong and add just a tad too much fentanyl and have it be a deadly batch. A deadly batch means too much fentanyl has been added. Because as powerful as fentanyl is, people can use it safely. But if they get heroin that's been mixed with more fentanyl than they're used to, it's much easier to overdose. After the heroin and fentanyl get mixed together, it needs to be strained and dried. The whole process takes a couple hours. What's going on? They're saying we gotta go because the military is in the area and they don't want them to get too close and see us. So we're, we're sort of hurrying to leave. We gotta move, guys. We gotta move. I'm, I'm good. The situation gets frantic in a hurry. We're not quite sure what's happening. They're like scrambling to get everything put together. Like there was a, it was very casual this whole time and now they're like, let's go, let's do this. They're cleaning everything up. We gotta, we gotta go. Yeah, we're out. I'm gonna hold on, hold on. We have to go now. We have to go now. We have to go now. Everyone's fucking running. Yeah, come on, this come is, on, come on, come on. This got very come urgent. Go. This got go, very go, urgent. Go, let's go. Almost. We ask what happened, and they tell us that the military was nearby. And Enrique told everyone to pack up and get out of there. It's unnerving, but it almost feels like a repeat of what happened on the boats. This time, nobody claims the military was paid off.
El Chapo has been sentenced to life in prison. He's the man whose name became synonymous with murderous drug kingpin. He was captured in Mexico, brought to the United States. Now that Chapo is in prison in the U.S., control of the Sinaloa cartel is split between his sons, Los Chapitos, and his longtime partner, Elmayo Zambada. Elmayo has always been one of the most powerful cartel bosses in Mexico, and the area south of Cuyacan is one of his strongholds. Now we're going into the bowels of Maya's territory. This is deep country. We're on the highway headed to meet up with Enrique. He's going to pack up the drugs that he cooked earlier. But otherwise, we have no idea where we're going. We want to see the end of the process that started out on the boat. We're in the middle of this remote area, and it's dark. There's a lightning storm. What's the group's assignment you ever done? Uh, this one. But this with, like, where we are, the lightning, in the middle of the night. Don't know where we're going. Still, if, if something goes wrong, we're a long way from anything. Yeah. We're turning off of this road and going through a metal gate into a field. See the guy in the back seat? Uh-huh. Oh, he's off. Yeah, he's got a pistol in his waistband. Yeah. I think they're full of The, the tree, the tree looks like it's from a Tim Burton movie. Where the fuck are we? Still, I don't see any house. We've basically left the road behind and are driving through a field. Yeah. We're in the middle of this dark-ass field, uh, and the, they pop the trunk of this car. And there's just three big old bags of brown powder and one uh, bag of loose white powder in the trunk of this Honda Civic. Their plan is to hide the drugs in the trunk. Sometime in the next day, they'll load the drugs onto a plane sitting on a clandestine airstrip nearby and fly them up to a city on the U.S. border. While they're taping up the kilos, I pull out some fentanyl test strips that I brought down from the U.S., can you tell them that we want to use this test strip to see, to confirm that there's fentanyl in it? Yeah. Enrique cuts open a brick and takes out a bit of brown powder. So we've got the, the test strip out and we're following the instructions and I've got a, a plastic water bottle. We've taken the cap off, turned it upside down and they've put just a couple grains of this heroin powder mixture in there. And I added just a couple, a little bit of water. And I'm going to dip the test strip in there. So the, two, the, the test says if it comes up with two lines, then it's positive for fentanyl, and you can already see the, the two lines coming in. Mm. So this is confirmed presence of fentanyl in this batch of heroin, which makes sense since we saw them pour a large amount of fentanyl into the heroin mixture yesterday. The trunk of the car has a hidden compartment. The lining pops out, and they hide the bricks underneath. So now it just looks like the trunk of a car, you can see that they've been prying on it a little bit on this side. But this side is like normal. You wouldn't notice. If you, if you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't see it. It just looks like the empty trunk of a car right now. 
Time to go. Time to go. He says, he says, uh, we gotta move because uh, uh, that that thing in the sky, it it was a drone. So he's suggesting that we should go now because they don't feel safe anymore. What do you think? Do you think that thing was really a drone? I don't know. I think they're being paranoid. Every time we're with Enrique, we have to run away because suddenly the military shows up. Maybe there was a drone, or maybe they were just having fun with the gringos. But that heroin we saw, there's definitely fentanyl mixed in it. And they say it's heading for the United States. Thank you for coming out, guys. Today we're gonna do a, uh, basically a by bus, just to kind of give you the backstory of how this thing started. So we're gonna have a few months later, we're in Phoenix, embedded with the DEA. We're in an alley behind a strip mall, watching about a dozen law enforcement agents preparing for a bust. They have a CS, or confidential source, who's posing as a fentanyl buyer. CS got a call this morning from a, a courier here in town, uh, a fentanyl pill courier. She ordered up 10,000 pills of fentanyl. Uh, the deal set up to be today at around one. The plan is for that informant to meet the dealer at another parking lot, buy some fentanyl pills, and then for the cops to swoop in and bust the dealer. The fentanyl came from Mexico, and somewhere along the way, it was pressed from powder into pills. After the briefing, we get into an SUV with Dave Horst, who's second in command for the DEA in Phoenix. And what's the proportion of fentanyl that you're seeing in, in powder versus pills? Um, a ton more pills lately, the M30s, than the powder. Um, but we are, we are seizing kilo quantities of the powder as well. M30 is an oxycodone pill. So basically, Mexican cartels are disguising fentanyl to look like painkillers. And it's causing a lot of overdose deaths. Because people taking the pills don't know what's in them. It's a national problem. Kids are getting their hands on counterfeit pills laced with fentanyl. The DEA says the dangerous counterfeit pills are, quote, killing Americans. Authorities have now confirmed that music legend Prince's cause of death was an overdose of the opiate fentanyl. Prince died from an overdose after taking what he thought was a prescription pill but was laced with fentanyl. Tom Petty and Mac Miller died the same way. This is the agonizing part because the, uh, the friendlies already made contact, so you're waiting. To We're see in a supermarket parking lot waiting for the deal to go down. The DEA informant is just a few parking spots away from us in another car. The informant's talking to the dealer and keeping the DEA updated about what's going on. Here's Dave. The friendlies telling us that the target said, hey, I've got to call Mexico and basically to release the pills. There's usually somebody calling the shots on the south side, so they tell these couriers, yeah, go ahead and give it to them, sell it to them. The DEA is seizing tens of thousands of these pills every month in Phoenix alone. The city's proximity to the border makes it a national distribution hub for the cartels. Now the informant says the dealer has gotten nervous and wants to do the deal somewhere else. 
Erica Curry, another DEA employee in the car with us, explains. So they have, they're, they're trying to set up a meet at a liquor store at 7th Avenue and Broadway. There's also a liquor store at 7th Street and Broadway. He, um, I guess, identified the 7th Street location. The DEA is improvising trying to make sure the deal happens in a location they can still control. Here we go with a little cat and mouse. We're going to try to remove it on them because they moved it on us to make it unfamiliar for him. And hopefully it meets us halfway. It also puts him on the move where they can confirm his car and possibly T-stop it. Eric is saying that maybe the cops can pull him over and search his car. plan seems like it's falling apart. We get stuck in traffic. So does the informant and the dealer, too. It's a freaking... But then, moments oh, later... They stopped him. They did? Yeah, they got him t Local cops have pulled over the dealer. He doesn't have a license. His wife's with him. Yeah, there was... This is the best option. I think if I copied right, he didn't have a driver's license, so that's an automatic. You could tow him right there and subsequent to a tow in this state, they have to search the car, so. They have to. Yeah, if they impound his car, it's kind of a done deal. Is that a pro tip if you got a 10,000 fentanyl pills, you probably have a driver's license? (laughs) (laughs) That should be in the drug dealer's manual. (laughs) Right there, right there. Back there, just past turn around so we get you guys a good look. The cops tow the dealer's car to a nearby police station. It's just sitting in the parking lot when we arrive. The DEA lets us have a look inside. It's a blue Chevy Malibu. The doors are open and they popped out the center console. There were bags of pills hidden underneath. Now Mexico's going to be calling wondering where their stuff's at, what happened to it. There's almost 5,000 of these little blue N30 pills in the car. The DEA suspects they're laced with fentanyl. The dealer's cell phone sits on the trunk in a plastic evidence bag. The agents tell us that it's typical for dealers to be in constant contact with traffickers just across the border in Mexico. So sometimes if we're for the fun of it, we answer it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you get it... You want to you answer right now while we're recording? You, no. you speak fluent Spanish? No. Yeah, but I'm not going to... It's their investigation. <laughs> they'll, they'll deal with it, but... Yeah, he answered and said, Hey, I want more pills. <laughs> and I'm like, ¿Qué? ¿Qué? Guinness, Guinness. Busts like that happen constantly. The DEA says it's normal to seize 100,000 fentanyl pills in a single day in the city. In one bust in 2019, they seized half as much fentanyl as they did the entire year before, in just one day. Dave told us that as soon as they bust a fentanyl dealer, the cartel immediately sends someone else to take their place. Another agent said they could do busts like these all day every day and still never run out of work. The DEA's strategy doesn't seem to be making a dent. For the cartels in Mexico, fentanyl is a moneymaker. For the DEA, it's a deadly poison they're trying to stop from ending up on the streets. 
I had reached the point right then where I wasn't going to be able to live with this anymore. But for some people, fentanyl is a lifesaver. I had reached the point that I was going to start making arrangements to end my pain the only way I knew how, and that was going to be, unfortunately, to end my life. Because I could not, I wasn't getting any relief, and I could not live with that pain anymore. And I go to that appointment, and so then we just started talking, and uh, he said that, that he knew of some medications that I apparently hadn't been tried on that he thought would be good for me, for my situation. And, and that's when he talked to me about the fentanyl patches and the fentanyl lozenges. Uh, fentanyl patches for long-term pain and the lozenges for breakthrough pain, short-term relief. And my life changed that day. That's next time on Painkiller. Painkiller, America's Fentanyl Crisis is a Spotify original production in partnership with Vice News. It's hosted and reported by me, Keegan Hamilton. From Vice News, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell is our producer. Editing by Annie Aviles. Sound design and original scoring by Steve Bone with help from Pran Bandy. Kate Osborne and Annie Aviles are our executive producers. From Spotify, executive producers are Liz Gately and Erica Clark. Supervising producer is Jake Kleinberg. Associate producer is Baron Farmer. Additional reporting on this episode by Miguel Angel Vega and production by Miguel Fernandez Flores. Security coordination by Rami Galli and Charbel Namur. Special thanks to our friends in Mexico who helped out on this one behind the scenes, including Jan Albert Hudson from the Committee to Protect Journalists and the staff at Rio Doce. Also thanks to Erica Curry, Polo Rees, and everyone at the DEA office in Phoenix. To see video footage from our reporting in Mexico, check out our website at painkiller.vice.com. If you're struggling with drug addiction and want to get help, call SAMHSA's National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Or visit findtreatment.gov. <laughs>